is what called the, the mantle of chat. Who's, and I'll get you ready to say, yeah, a few others. And um, it's a particular resonance to this whole story of chat. And I feel like me, but I, after the last few years, I think to, when I watch TV, which I do often, he says, when I've been screaming before, when I've been watching, um, I like to see um, old English stuff. So I just finished again watching a series um, called The Last Kingdom. Uh, and the, the, the main uh, character is a guy called Utrid. Utrid, And he was in the service of King Alfred. Yeah? And then another one, and I've seen people don't watch it, probably the Game of Thrones, aren't they? Yes. I know you are. I mean, you only watch the research, but I know. But again, that sort of era. And then, um, what was the other one? This week, folks, this week. Shout out to this book. Featured very much in Mercia. So we've been around long enough, Mary and maybe Rachel. Certainly Mary and Joe. Remember Mercia. I mean, with Mercia and like Billy Sports and the like, yes, we don't hear so much these days. Well, um, some of the characters around Mercia was Chad and, uh, and another um, uh, saint called St. Mondrina. Well, St. Mondrina, we don't hear much about him, but I know. Of an organisation or company called St. Mondrians. Have you heard of St. Mondrians? Which is named after St. Mondrians. And this, this week, no, last week, last week, we need a deal with St. Mondrians. A deal I've been waiting for for 15, 15 years, 15 years, to buy some land off them and agree to sell some land to the rear of the whole mindset. To extend it considerably, praise the Lord. And um, I said to you, it's very interesting when Roberts arrived and the whole talk around Mercia, uh, because you know, going on with the volunteers there next, uh, in 13th of 12th of January, and you're going to go on to see that and to see the land as well. Um, the government said that also houses our studio school. And that's you guys, we signed a, a deal uh, earlier this year with uh, the Queen Mary's Foundation, the Royal Trustee, to form a new multi academic trust. Basically, that's just a grand name for uh, an association of schools that work together. And there's five of those schools Queen Mary, two Queen Mary schools, the Boys and Girls, two comprehensive schools, Shire Oak and Old Beach, the Chiba School, and another school which we're going to form. School. Well, the whole name of the multi academic trust is an interesting name because when we were looking for names, um, someone from the grammar school said, Kevin, a suggestion. And as soon as I heard the name, I said, Yes, that's the name we should go for. Because the name they opted for was Mercy, right? And there's a whole prophetic name that's on the out throughout the black country. And all those organisations and churches have their lives to net among that mercy act is being reborn. And Robert, our great speaker, who has uh, gone around the region, literally, in terms of from being an AOG pastor to a sometimes Anglican, I don't know what you want to but certainly he's been saved. <laughs> and he's seen it all. And I think we're in a, a real word from God today. Such a welcome. Yes.
some of these shows on the internet. And uh, I really think work there for many years, bringing churches together. And you send in a training job, but assembled as well, what well, I used to be, and thought I was getting the left with the television. It basically means that you know, we don't really go on with it anymore, off you go. Um, and uh, led an Anglican church for four years, which is one reason the assembly as well didn't want me any longer. And uh, led uh, an independent charismatic church. And these days, I'm the county ecumenical office of the Southern Church of the Black Country. Basically means I'm paid by the Church of England, the Roman Catholic Church, the Methodist Church, the Salvation Army, the Baptist Union, and the United Reformed Church, and the Quakers, to work together or to bring the leaders of those denominations, in fact, all the Christian denominations, together across Saturday and the Black Country. And that's what I'm doing day by day. It's a wonderful life, every day is different. I have what I call the official ecumenical. Like last week, last Thursday, Friday, we sort of met eight, nine days ago, led a two day retreat for all the denominational leaders of such. So, what I would call the official ecumenical, bringing the bishops together. And then there's the unofficial ecumenical, which is like what Walsall and what that which doesn't belong to the denomination, but brings God's people together. And then there's the unconscious ecumenical. The people who are reaching across the barriers of God's people and don't even realise they're doing it. The, uh, the food banks and the street passes and the anti human trafficking and all sorts of incredible things that are going on, but literally God's people are ground level. It's amazing, God's people are wonderful. And, uh, and there's life in every part of the church, and we come from a particular part of the church and sometimes still sort of think there's life in other parts of the church. Well, let me tell you, there is. They struggle to believe the Bible with you. <laughs> now we can have some to believe the Bible with you. Right, there you go. But last time I was in uh, Walsall preaching in Walsall, it was um, about three months ago, when I went to preach to a good friend of mine, David Ollocky, who leads the Lifegate Outreach Centre, which is in, uh, it's not really looking at me now, I think I live in the Lapshire, it's in uh, Shawnee Street. Just behind the Catholic Church of the Rainbow Lake of the Naranga, and the independent Nigerian church, the great, great church. You said, Well, you can't preach about our third anniversary. David, I love to. Then I found out that I was one of three preachers, and I got there for the 10 o'clock start, and got a lot better about half past nine for friend. And we finished at 10 past two. So I sort of had over four and a half hours non-stop of the service. And not just four and a half hours of the service, but four and a half hours now, forgive me Africans, of Nigerians, treating the microphone as a lollipop, eating it and shouting hallelujah and other things, you know, loudly, a hundred times. So it's four and a half hours of noisy church. Oh my God, hallelujah, so by the time we finished, I just wanted to lie in the darkened room. That was the last time I was in Warsaw. But I think about uh, preaching that is, I was in Warsaw Monday evening, we were meeting with Warsaw churches together in the Methodist church. Or sometimes I might be with John Nanke go in the Orthodox church, which is a different world altogether. Or occasionally I might be with, uh, in Small Street with transforming communities together, or even the Archdeacon. So I'm going to have to or Dudley or Stourbridge or you name it, 
But this opening word of the New Testament, almost the very first action that would be coming and as we call it now, preparing for the Lord to come. As God is doing something new, it's tied in completely to something very old. Zechariah John is coming. The New Testament is opening, as we call it now. This new day of God's grace, this new something happening, but as it's completely new, it's completely tied into something that's very old. So if you want to say, well then, what does it mean in the spirit and power of Elijah? You end up, as you would guess, back in the Old Testament. And you end up back with that man, Elijah, who appeared on the scene in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. When he stands before Ahab, this terrible, wicked, sinful king, 1 Kings 16, Ahab is more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king before him. And now, God steps in. Elijah appears on the scene and, and says, It's not going to rain till I say so. Disappears, goes and lives in the desert, 1 Kings 17, where God does an incredible miracle in that the ravens who would normally steal food from anybody or anything start bringing food to Elijah and feeding him. And then he's drinking from the Kerith brook, remember the story? Then the brook dries up, so he's sent off to Zarephan, where he meets the widow who's got no food, and he says, I'll tell you what, just give me your last bit of food. What a cheek. But she feels that something that God's with him listens to what he says, and God multiplies the food, so that Elijah, the widow, and the son of them, 1 Kings 17, and the son dies, Elijah prays for him, he's ready back to life, 1 Kings 18, Elijah goes to Mount Carmel, because he's come to challenge the people of Israel, how long will you waver between the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel, or Baal, Baal, the God of the surrounding nations? And so Elijah is, is, uh, is praying and calling on God to send the fire. Here it is on the screen, I don't know if this time, but uh, there we go. Elijah calls out and says, God, answer me, and God sends the fire. 1 Kings chapter 18. That's why Elijah is called Elijah. His name is Eli, E-L-I, Eli, my God. Eli is the Old Testament name for God. Yah. It's Yahweh Jehovah, the Lord, my God is the Lord. And he's come to call the people to make their God the Lord, or the Lord their God. That's why he's called their life. What else would he be called? Because that's his ministry. That's his ministry. But immediately, all 1 Kings 18 happened, and many people have turned back to God. Jezebel's on the case, I'm going to kill you. Elijah gets depressed and afraid, 1 Kings 19 runs away, thinks it's all over. And in a sense, for some degree, it's all over. He's come towards the end of his ministry already, those few um, dramatic years. And God says, tell me what you need to do now. It's over for you. Go and anoint a successor. So Elijah goes off and finds a man called Elisha. And here's a, here's a text now coming up on the screen, 1 Kings 19, 19. Elijah found Elisha, and Elijah went to him and put his cloak on him. And Elijah began to follow him. So some of our versions say cloak, some use the word mantle. 
this idea that something is going to pass from Elijah to Elisha. Then you sort of roll the story off, and uh, what happens with Elijah and Elisha will be in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, um, or, well, 2 Kings chapter 1, but let's go to first. It's an interesting thing, on the end, we'll come back to it later. But one of the kings of Israel was asking, looking for Elijah, some soldiers found him, came back to the king and said, oh, we've just seen a man with a coat of hair and a leather belt. What did the king say? It's Elijah. He goes around wearing a hairy coat and a leather belt. <laughs> what strange words. 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah's about to be taken to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elijah is following him. And when Elijah goes to heaven in a whirlwind, something drops, falls to the ground. What is it? It's Elijah's cloak, the thing that he wants put around Elijah. So here you've got two kings, chapter two, I think, if I'm right. Elijah picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen, and he takes the cloak, strikes the river Jordan, and says, Where is the God of Elijah? And the river Jordan parted from Elijah, as it had just done for Elijah. Sorry, I'm rushing through the story. But making the point. What did Elijah say? He said, Elijah, I want your cloak, I want your anointing, I want what you've got. In fact, I don't just want, want what you've got, I want twice as much. I want a double portion, a double inheritance. Remember that story? Fascinating. How many miracles did Elijah do? Recorded miracles of Elijah. Eight. How many miracles did Elijah? Well, actually, 15 while he was still alive. And one when he was dead. Because it doesn't matter to God whether we're alive or dead, what God has said will happen. Because all the anointings may lie in the grave. But they never die. They never die. Where are we now? Next one. I think it's all about that. Elijah died and was buried. And what a weird story is this. A bit later on, someone who was just about to be buried needs to be buried quickly. What can we do? We've got time to open up another tomb, throw him in Elijah's tomb. The dead man now touches Elijah's bones and he's alive. Miracle number 16. Because he had a, a double anointing. So Elijah's spirit anointing has passed directly to Elijah, but now Elijah's dead. And his anointing, the anointing of Elijah that's come, Elijah that's come to Elijah. Where's that gone? It's in the grave with him. And it's there because it's someone coming alive just by touching it. But it's in the grave. Is it gone? You roll the Bible story through the Old Testament, page after page, year after year, and you come to the very end of the Old Testament, last words of the Old Testament. Well, I thought I'm going to a Pentecostal church, so a lot of you don't have any Bible So, here you go, in the next, this is the last words of the Old Testament. How does the Old Testament end? God says, 
I'm going to turn the hearts of the parents back to the children and bring people back to me. So, what anointing is that? It's the anointing of Elijah. So I'm going to say that you think Elijah's anointing that went to Elisha is dead. Absolutely not. It's in the grave, but it's not dead. It's in the ground, but it's still there. And one day, God says, I'm going to bring it back. Elijah's coming again to do the same thing because the people have to be turned back to God. What's the Elijah not anointing? Bring Israel back to God. And I'm going to do it again. So the anointing is going to come, and if it doesn't come, that's the end of it. Israel's finished unless Elijah comes again and prepares the people when they come along. That's why when you open the New Testament, at least chronologically speaking, and don't if you want a chronological Bible, but we use Bible in that. Fantastic. The Bible in chronological order, in the order of time in which it happened. And you start with Luke chapter 1 in the New Testament. What's the very first thing that happened? The angel appears to Zechariah. And what does the angel say to Zechariah? Here it is again. We've already seen this once before, but now you've got the context for it. The angel says to Zechariah, you're going to have a son. You've got to give him the name John. John means. Grace, grace. Did he call John or Johannes or Joanna or Joan or Janet or Ian or any other name that swims out of the back of your name is Grace? Grace, you're going to call him Grace. Why? He's going to turn the people back to the Lord their God. Well, what anointing that? The anointing of Elijah. You'll be in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now you now call John the Baptist or John the Baptist. He's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. So, here's a couple of quick scriptures, just out of interest. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and a leather belt round his face. Well, what else will he wear if he's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah? What else will he expect to wear? What's the next one? Oh, yeah, but what's he talking about? John said, here I am baptizing, but really I'm just preparing the way. Well, that's what Elijah did. And what's he talking about? Fire. Well, what else will he talk about? Because he's come in the spirit and power of Elijah who called down fire from heaven. So John says, there's fire coming from heaven. He's come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what's the next one? Oh, well, he is Jesus now looking back on John the Baptist. But later on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, John, uh, Elijah has come. God said he would come, and he has come. But they persecuted him, opposed him, killed him. What else would they do? Because that's what they did to Elijah. He's come in the spirit and power of Elijah. So, here it is again. I'll say it again. Hold and anointings. They lie in the grave. But they never die. Because when God has spoken something, said something, done something, when God has put his word into a situation, his word lasts forever. His word lasts forever. Anything that God says and does doesn't just last for that moment. It's powerful in that moment. It changes that moment. 
it changes someone's lives, and we live in, in the revelation of God's given bottom that he is. It lasts for that, but it's really God that said it. It's not just lasting for your life, that. it's lasting forever, through time and into eternity. Because all the mountains don't die, what God has said and done, what God has promised, what God has spoken into the situation is there. That's why it's so massively important to know what God has said and done. Because I'm not looking around asking God what he wants to do in mercy or in the West Midlands. I'm just picking up on what he's already said and done. So when I'm at home in Stoke, in sunny Stoke, I'm saying, thank God, thank you all for those Christian people who came here in the 7th century and built a little, well, I guess we call it monastery now, but community next to the river trend, which in old English, if you want it in old English, it's called Soak on Trent. And thank you all that I live in a city that's called the Holy Place on the Bloody River. And a city that's actually named after the first Christian people who worshipped and loved you and preached the gospel and thank you all. We still even have the Saxon cross there in the churchyard as a living symbol of the fact they were really there, as well as a name that's called the Lizard. Thank you all for those people who prayer and worship those we call the monks, if you don't know what else to call them, those Orthodox priests. Because that's what St. Chad was, an Orthodox priest. That's what modern was, a female Orthodox priest. Worshipping God seven times a day, once in the night, two o'clock in the morning. Day after day after day, celebrating the life of God. They didn't do it like we did. They weren't descendants of God, so we can't be provocative now. <laughs> they didn't do it like we did, but they were God's people. And they sowed something in the ground, and the name of my city is still based on them. How incredible is that? And thank you all for those. Those, uh, those Catholic monks who were at Holton Abbey, what in Stoke now we call Holton Abbey Holton, as we always get the ground over there. But anyway, Holton Abbey, thank you, about 300 years of prayer and ministry, the fact that they more or less ran what is now Stoke on Trent for 300 years. And Lord, do it again. And thank you, Lord, for George Ritchie and John Martin. We turned what's now sort of kind of upside down in the 18th century. And thank you for their preaching, their method of living, their method of bringing people to Christ and discipling them, and the little, what they call bands, those groups of two or three based on the scripture, you have two or three thousand people. And thank you for their classes, those groups of 12, we call them home groups or cell groups now, I guess, what they call them classes meeting every Wednesday evening, so that they could literally put a finger in each other's face and say, how is your prayer life? And how are you getting on? And what are your issues? And really, just hold each other accountable. Incredible. Thank you, God, for those methods. And thank you, God, for the new connection mechanism that came out of Sir Contract in the early 1800s and built the biggest chapel in the world at the time it was built. So many people crowding into God's in the church. And thank you, God, for the primitive methods. Those rock and ready, hallelujah shouting, um, potters and mines, 
rock working class people who turned the city upside down in the 19th century. And thank you for the thousands of people who came to Christ through the method. And thank you all for what you moved and came with so called friends in January 1855 and led 700 people to Christ in seven months. And thank you all for Gypsy Smith who came with so called friends on the 1st of January 1882 and built a church of 10,000 people in six months. What a revival. Thank you, Lord. Do it again. And thank you all for Edward Jeffries. Coming out of South Wales, well-speaking man, coming as a young man to serve our friends in 1930 in a time of great trouble and trauma and uh, the, the world's stock market's gone and so on, people penniless, thank you. That he would take sick people and put them on the platform and put them everyone one by one and see them heal, heal, heal. Walk and see and heal. Lord, do it again. Myself. Do not solve it for nothing. All the anointings may lie in the grave, but they never die. And thank you, Lord, that in my city, those people who planted the gospel were people of incredible prayer, prayer that would put us to shame. We fasted, fasted half the days of the year. For every two days they lived, one of them was spent in fasting. I mean, that just put us to shame. And thank you all that John Wesley talks about the special power of the friend in Sir and thank you that William Blue wrote to Catherine, who was then his fiance, about the incredible, he said, You should see the people pray. There's a prayer anointing that I can pick up on and say, Lord, take it there again. Now, that, I'm talking so much, friend, because that's home for me. But actually, your world is much different than mine, but it's also used to be part of savage, isn't it? And literally, where travel was in the 7th century, it's not a million miles from here. In fact, it's closer to here than it is to Sir Contrans, but I'd be correct. What is it? 12 miles, 15 miles, southern Florida. So what was put in the ground by those Orthodox missionaries in the 6th, 7th centuries? It's valid for you as well. And don't have time to talk to you about all the Catholic monasteries, as we call them now, houses of prayer. Dotted what was then Suffolkshire that sort of connects you and me, north and south Suffolkshire, historically speaking. And most of you don't even know that Suffolkshire is a thousand years old this year, and celebrated that throughout the county with, with last year, with all the problems done. But you share with me John Wesley, he was coming through the Black Country, what's called the Black Country then, but he was coming through what's now the Black Country in the 18th century. And, and you share with me new connection methodism and primitive methodism and the Baptists and the congregations, they all been in through also. Shockingly, I might have more about your history than you do. But they all been there. And you share Edward Jeffries with you. Because in the months before we came to serve our friend in autumn 1930, you were wandering through Kingville and Wye and so on and up through Warsaw and Town Hall, Birmingham Town, just as he did in the Southern Country, he did it here in Warsaw. Well, 
celebrate. You can celebrate. We'll say, God, we just do it again. And who's going who's to pick up the mantle, the cloak? Who's going to get before God in serious terms and say, God, thank you for what we've done in Warsaw? I love the name of the old place, Warsaw. Something like the town of the Welsh Spears. That's what your place is. It's always that Welsh, that strange old place. <laughs> what I don't the building where they had Warsaw is the same as the building where they had Wales. Okay, so I the Welsh town. Well, let's face it, God loves the Welsh. Even the Welsh.
for all souls today. We say with all our hearts, Lord, do it again. What you've planted in the ground, let it rise up again. What you've done before, do it again. Those, those times of salvation, Lord, bring you those times of salvation. Those times of healing, Lord, release your healing anointing over this time. Lord, those times of prayer, those people who are serious about prayer and holiness and accountability in this life, Lord, really start anointing upon us again. Let your kingdom come in our day. Let your kingdom come. As you've done down the centuries, do it again. Do it better, Lord. Do it in a way that's relevant to the 21st century, but do it for real. Let it bear the hallmark of heaven and eternity coming into time, into our time. Transform lives today. Transform lives today. And Father, among all your people in Warsaw, raise up those who will learn how to tap into you and to tap into your old anointings that make them new, restore them, revive them, bring them back into the living reality of this day. But we thank you, your best days are not only your best days, your best days are still to come. Thank you that you're not finished, you're not old, you're not weary, you've not run out of ideas, you've not exhausted your resources of life. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and today. The Lord restore your work among your people, revive your that we may rejoice. Thank you around the room to stir to the